1: You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game.
0: This is the Power Producers Podcast, production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power?
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. I'm your host, David Carruthers. And The Beard, Kyle Hawk is out today. He is actually doing exactly what he should be doing, at least from the perspective of his boss, and he is in a new business meeting. So I trust that will go well, and it will earn some revenue for both of us, but really didn't have much room for him today because we have a huge guest, somebody that is big enough to take up two spots. It's Mr. Brian Will, and he is the author of the book, The Dropout Millionaire: 37 Lessons, How to Succeed with No Money, No Education, and no clue. Brian, welcome to Power Producers.
2: Thanks, David. Appreciate it.
1: My pleasure. So, great book title. I love so many things I can ask out of that. My first question is always going to go to the odd number. Where did the 37 come from? I mean, did you just stop at 37? <laughs> like, for me, it would probably be like 370.
2: Well, when we wrote the book, and this gets into how you write books, I put down all these, these, uh, ideas on chapters and and thoughts I wanted to get across and and then I wrote the book and then I went back and started reading it and I thought, wait a minute, there are specific business lessons in here. So we started calling them out throughout the chapters and when we got done, there were 37. So no magic number, that's just where we got to.
1: It's it's interesting and you've written more than one book at this point, correct?
2: Yeah, the first book I wrote, I wrote about a year earlier and it's called 57 Life Lessons on Raising Yourself from a Life of Despair to a Multimillionaire.
1: Interesting. Having written one book myself and in the process of the second one, it's kind of interesting. I woke up this morning. And so my book, for the people who listen already know, I'm sure it's extra two minutes. Um, But I'm working on another one called The Dirty 130. It's 130 days, which is six months of working days of a challenge. And if you create... The, those habits that you do to get through the challenge is gonna change the trajectory, trajectory of your career. Well, my first book was about how you go the extra two minutes, spend two minutes doing virtually anything in your sales career is going to put you at a completely different level than your competition because you're going to wow your audience. And as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, Hmm, probably should have written the dirty One Thirty first because <laughs> that would have teach- taught these people how to get in front of the people to deliver the extra two minutes. So it- it's fun. Um, you know, I've got a lot of college te- uh, professors and, uh, undergrad or high school teachers that probably are blown away that I wrote anything at all. Um, let alone a book that has done fairly well for itself. And it's a never ending learning process, man. You write one, I, I, I'd, I'd love to know how many people have written one book and stopped.
2: Well, what's even more interesting is how many people wrote the book and actually wrote it themselves and didn't use a ghostwriter.
1: It's painfully obvious if you get through mine because I self-published and there are exactly seven errors and the editor is gone (laughs) and we're bringing another one in. I know exactly where all of them are. My good friend James Jenkins was kind enough to give me a list of them after he read it. But um, for for me, I got done with it and I'm like, man, there's so much more I could have talked about. I got to write another book. And I know that when I get done with this one, I'm going to be exactly the same. There's so many more things I can talk about. And for me... The writing part of it is actually not that bad because I blog incessantly. I'm putting out you know two, three blog posts a week at a bare minimum on each of my, at least a couple of my sites. So that part, I don't have fear from that. Um, it's just, I get going down one road and I have to see that through to completion. And by the time I get done, I've got enough to have an entire book and I just need to go write another one. So talk a little bit about what drove you to write this though. We're not here to talk about my book. We're here to talk about yours. Cause I think that yours probably has the potential to make a lot more impact on the industry than what mine did.
2: Well, it's interesting. The first book, um, I started on my 50th birthday. I was down in Key West and down there by myself and didn't have anything to do. And I'd had this book. Such titled. a great
1: place to, by the way, just let me stop you A, don't know if you did your research or not, but my number one favorite place in the entire world is Key West, Florida.
2: Yeah. And for me, I found that I can only write when I'm away from home, which is, I've I've learned this through the writing process. And I started down there in Key West and I literally had this book title on my computer for five years and I picked it up with nothing else to do and started dictating into my iPad. And three days later I'd written 25,000 words. And I thought, oh, wow, I, I could finish this book really quickly. Well, I tend to ended up going home and then I, I, it sat on my computer for another five years. It just sat there yeah. half written. And then I went out to Park City a year and a half ago and I was sitting out there again by myself and thought, I might as well finish this book. Well, much like you just said, I finished the book in about three days and I remember finishing it and I went to dinner and I was sitting at dinner and I thought to myself, I'm not done. There's another book. And so I sat at dinner and I wrote down about 100 topics in in about the next 20 minutes, went back to the condo and wrote the first three chapters of the second book. So you're right. You're not done. And even now that I've got these two books out, I've got two more books in the works. So.
1: So the one thing that you said that struck me, only because I've been through this process before, is that you dictated 25,000 words, man. And so my process for content creation, even with blogs, is I'd start with video. So it's still the spoken word. It's just I start with video. And then in order to write the blog post, I send that off to a transcription company and I let them transcribe my video. I can talk for five minutes and I've only got about 500 words. Okay. And I talk fast and a lot. So for you to have dictated 25,000 words in that time frame tells me you were spending a lot of time dictating.
2: I literally, when I picked up that iPad and started talking, I talked for about 12 straight hours, went to bed, got up, talked for another 10 hours, went to bed, got up and did another eight hours. So I had almost 40 hours in three days, but it's one of those, I'm sure you're like this. Once you start rolling, you can just keep right on rolling. You know, you have to go back and later and fix all the mistakes and the run-ons and all that, but just getting the information on paper, you know, so you 've got an outline or you know
1: a big form of a book is how you really get started and I am so much more effective, like even when I get up and do public speaking, I hate powerPoint I can get up i could you could tell me, David, I need you to go and deliver a presentation on sales psychology right now, and I could go out and easily talk for an hour, two hours with not a slide, no preparation, nothing because I live it every single day where i start falling short is when you tell me i have to make that presentation in a written form and have slides and follow those and whatever else i just i'm not nearly as effective and it's really because of how my brain is wired more than anything else i just can't handle operating in those in those confines but before we dive any further into the book, talk a little bit about your background because I want everybody to understand you're not just some guy who decided, "Hey, I'm going to give you 57 life lessons and 37, you know, tips about, you know, building your business." You've got some some background to that that gives you some authority and credibility to write that information.
2: Yeah, and and the title of the book is the Dropout Multi Millionaire. So you know, the quick history is I was a terrible student, grew up in a we'll call it a very abusive home. Had a chip on my shoulder. I was angry. Basically failed out of high school my junior year. Got kicked out, came back, talked my way back in so I could graduate. But I graduated high school number 83 out of 85 in my class. 1.2 grade point average. I was not a good student. I had no option to go to college. And uh, my stepfather at the time told me, you know, he gave me luggage as a graduation present because I was leaving. So having no place to go, I went in the military. Joined the Air Force for four years, Army for four years, lost rank a couple of times. I'm not very good with authority. Got out, tried to work, couldn't hold a job. I was a busboy at Applebee's when I got married. Um, That was about the only job I could keep. Uh, Got married and then thought to myself, you know, working for someone else doesn't seem to be the deal for me. So let me see if I can start my own business. So I started a landscaping business. Over the next 10 years, we built that up to having seven franchises in the Atlanta area. It did really good. Uh, I got out of that, got into the insurance business, started selling insurance, health insurance, actually. And I don't know if you remember this, but we were advertising on Rush Limbaugh back in the day, probably 1996, 97, to generate leads. And I was selling these things called medical savings accounts, which were the hot thing. But after about a year of this, I, I, I just couldn't figure out why people were running around face to face and door to door selling insurance. So, I cut a deal with an insurance cure and they had said they would allow me to do things by fax. Yeah. And so we were doing fax applications on health insurance which was not allowed at the time and built this up to be the largest second largest agency in the country for assurance health and got acquired by uh, a venture capital firm in Atlanta because e-health insurance was up and coming and you know, they needed a virtual call center so to speak. So I sold that company, then went out and started an online marketing company with a partner. Uh, After that, we started another online insurance company. We sold the the, uh, online marketing company to a private equity firm in Chicago. Two years later, we sold the online insurance agency to another venture capital firm out of Silicon Valley. And uh, suddenly the adage in this industry is if you do one, you're lucky. If you do two, you're good. And I had done three at that point. So I became somewhat of an industry expert in the direct-to-consumer call center space. So I started doing consulting for insurance carriers, kind of turnaround work on their call centers that weren't working. Uh, Went through Portland, went through Chicago, went through Milwaukee, went through Connecticut. Spent a few years doing that. Um, Tried to quit work. Wasn't in my genes. So I started – I bought a restaurant. That turned into two, which turned into four, which turned into eight. Then I wrote these books on business. Um, and then I threw my hat in the political ring here in my hometown running <laughs> for city council.
1: You must've felt like you needed to be humbled for some reason or yeah. another. Yeah, so it's,
2: it's, been, it's been an interesting journey through different industries and selling different types of companies. But I found that that if you're good at running a business, you're good at running a business. And it doesn't matter if it's an insurance agency or a restaurant or a software company. Business skills and the mental fortitude it takes to do what you need to do and make the decisions you need to make are pretty common. There is a reason why people fail, and they're generally very common reasons. And I get into a lot of that in the book.
1: And I think the entrepreneurial spirit's another part of it, man. I mean, you could have said you were successful in business after selling the first company, right? More than likely. And you continued to push forward and continue to do more. I think that also is very indicative of the fact you have a problem with authority, right? You don't wanna have to work for somebody else. I think that the most entrepreneurial people out there can never be an employee. I agree. Um, and, And I say that because that's my MO. I have the agency that I own today because I just couldn't handle it anymore. I could not take having to answer to other people who didn't think the way that I think and didn't understand my point of view and where I was coming from. And as a result, I just finally, after enough years, decided, what am I doing, man? I'll just go do my own thing, screw mm-hmm. this. And I did, and guess what? I don't have to answer to anybody but my clients, my carrier partners and the stakeholders that we have in the agency, but not in an authoritarian manner and we've been wildly successful because I've actually been able to implement everything that I always wanted to do and have seen from a vision standpoint as an entrepreneur that other people just don't see. I think that it's safe to say that when you're entrepreneurial, and I talk about this a lot when people when I'm on other podcasts or even when people ask me questions on mine, when they say what do you think your number 1 Character trait is, or what your number one trait is that has allowed you to achieve some level of success. Yes, I have a backbone. Yes, I have, you know, undying resolve. I have some level of intelligence. I've got some level of experience. But truthfully, what I think, and I'm interested in your thoughts on this, what I think makes me deadly is my vision and ability to see things where other people don't see them. And So I talk about that a lot in the, with regard to the insurance industry because we're like lemmings in the insurance industry. Everybody's running to get to the side of the cliff. So when I see the industry going right, I'm immediately going to go left because I know that's where the fertile ground is in the uncharted territory and I can ultimately make more money and drive a bigger impact if I go that way. But to me, having that vision and seeing those things, it's not an accident that you went from one to two to four restaurants. You saw something and you made decisions. And guess what? You probably lost some restaurants around the way too. You know, I mean, that's the other thing. I have zero fear of failure. I think so many times that people fail or don't achieve what they set out to achieve because they get scared instead of just selling out to whatever the mission is, whatever the vision is. I'm one of these guys that I will sell out 110%, but I also know when it's time to cut bait. And I think that that's another calculated thing you need to understand.
2: So I'm going to give you a couple topics and, and you're, you're exactly right on the money. So the first one is what I like to call, I graduated from the university of FLFLS. That's fail, learn, fail, learn, succeed, Right. 500,000 new businesses start in America every month. That's six million a year. The majority of those will fail. The majority of those will fail because the person that started them didn't understand everything they needed to know and they didn't learn from their failures. And when you say, I, I'm not afraid to fail, you're right. I'm, I'm six for 12 in the restaurant business. We have a great company with six, but we had six that didn't make it. But you learn off of every one. Of the six that failed, four of those were my first five. But you learn, 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 and then you succeed. Um, And you don't quit. And you don't quit. You you can't take unnecessary risks, but you don't quit. One of the challenges I see with people is when they start their business, a lot of them have an ego problem. They think they have all the answers. They think they know what they're supposed to do. And a lot of times they don't. And they're unwilling to take the advice of people who have been there and done that before. And that is one of the biggest reasons people fail. They don't. They don't understand their own limitations. If they could just find someone who'd been there and done that, get their advice and follow it, their chances of success are much, much higher.
1: Yeah, I agree. I I think that people, I, I actually just put some content out about this last week or the week before. And that's one of the number one things. And I give this advice to anybody who's coming into the insurance industry, no matter how good you are or perceive yourself to be. You have to be coachable, period. Mm -hmm. Michael Jordan was coachable, right? I mean, Michael Jordan was arguably, I know that there's people who want to make the argument for LeBron and Kobe and all of these other people, but I don't think that we will ever see in professional sports a greater competitor than Michael Jordan. Tom Brady is probably as close as you're going to get, in my opinion.
2: I mean, Tiger Woods had a swing coach who couldn't win a golf tournament if he tried. But Tiger Woods had a swing coach.
1: Yeah, and I mean that and that's the thing. You have to be coachable. And it's not that you and by me by being coachable, there's some some components that go into that. Number one, you have to be willing to reach out and ask for help. You can't be afraid to ask somebody to help you. I think there's some apprehension there. But then when you do get that person to buy in and invest in you, it doesn't matter if you're paying them or they're just doing it out of the goodness of their heart. It really doesn't matter because they're going to give you advice and the next piece of that is you got to implement some of it, if not all of it. I'm not going to say you have to agree with everything everybody says because there's differences across the board, but I can tell you right now, I don't need practice in telling people how to succeed in the insurance industry. I've proven that I can do it. I've proven that I can help other people do it. If you're going to spend time with me, I have no problem with you booking time on my calendar. Anybody who has ever booked time on my calendar would tell you that I give them 100% of my focus the entire time. Where I lose it, Is when i go back out thank you social media and i see them doing exactly what i said don't do this yeah or stop doing this right that person to me is not coachable because you used you used the information i gave you or you you took it in but you never implemented or executed and that becomes frustrating for the person who's the actual coach because you have succeeded and you do know what needs to be done it's kind of like parenting honestly you know i can tell my kids hey you don't need to do this, this, or this, or you're going to have this, this, and this happen. Are they going to listen to me? I'm probably going to bat 500 there, right? Half the time they are, half the time they're not. Well, guess what happens when they don't? This, this, and this happen. And it's it's crazy that we can have so many examples of things like this happening in the in the life and in in the world, and yet we continue to perpetuate just the same behaviors over and over again. We don't and, want to be And
2: this is literally chapter one in my book, so I'm going to give you a little synopsis of chapter one, right? So... I'm sure you've met people, whether they're salespeople or business people, that they just win. They win over and over. Everything they do seems to be the right decision. And you also know people that couldn't win You know, if they tried to buy it. Everything they do seems to fail. They can't get ahead. Nothing works, right? People that everything works, people that everything doesn't. So I call this your personal filter, right? And your personal filter is this thing that sits behind your brain. That takes in every single piece of information that's ever been thrown at you, everything you've ever learned in school, everybody you've ever met and talked to, all your friends, your parents, your professors, your teachers, your bosses. It takes all this information in and then it creates a yes or no filter that you don't even know is, is, is working behind the scenes. And no matter what somebody tells you, it either accepts that information or it rejects it. And it does it in a split second without you even thinking about it. And the reason people succeed is because they have what I call a success filter, right? They can take information in that's good for them, reject the information that's bad. There are people with a failure filter. They reject positive information and only accept the bad. How many people have you tried to coach and they said, well, I think I'm going to do it my way. And you just yeah. you just say to yourself, well, I don't understand what you're saying here. You asked me for my advice. I'm successful. You're not, but you're going to do it your way. It's because their filter rejected what you told them because it doesn't understand it and because yeah, or,
1: or or the other one is yeah, that's just not going to work for me that's not going right. to work here where where I am is different you know last time i checked math is math it doesn't matter where you're right. at dollars are dollars it doesn't matter where you're at and i it just yeah you're right it's extremely frustrating the problem with that
2: filter is that if it's a negative filter it doesn't even understand when to take positive information it just doesn't know how to do it i have someone here in atlanta that asked me to come help them and she's the kind of person that you're standing in a room and there's a doorway and I tell her to go into the other room and she'll try to walk through the wall. And I'll say, no, no, walk through the door. Here, watch me. I'll walk back and forth through the door. And she'll go, no, no, that's not the way it works. I have to do it my way. And, and you just sit there and look at her like, what are you talking about? I'm walking back and forth through the door. Just follow me. No, no, no. I'm going to do it my way. That doesn't work for me. And that's that it's, it's, it's because of their filter. They don't know how to win. And if you don't know how to it's- win, you need to find somebody who does and listen to them.
1: Well, here's my question. Do you feel like they even know they have that filter?
2: Of course not, because that filter is all subconscious. You have no idea this is going on. I, I, and I tell you this to people as I'm sitting here talking to you, you're listening to what I'm saying and you're accepting some things and you're rejecting others. And that's based on the entire history of input you've ever put in your brain. Whatever you accept will help, hopefully. And whatever you reject, you'll never think about again. And everybody does this with everything that happens to them every day.
1: So here's a question for you. In you may have a good answer, you may not. I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. I don't mean to. How do you translate that to somebody who's out prospecting and, and trying to sell in commercial middle market?
2: Re- define that question a little better for me.
1: So I've got a group of people, 10,000 plus, that are listening to this podcast right now, that are out trying to sell insurance on a daily basis, and they're having to prospect and have conversations with people, and they're hearing no more than they're hearing yes. And my question is, how do you translate that? How do you how do you identify whether or not you're getting no because you really should get no or it's because the filter that's in your mind is telling you that you're leaning toward hearing no as opposed to doing the things you need to do to get to yes. And
2: this and this is exactly what I'm talking about. If you're getting no more than yes, there's something going on that you don't understand and don't realize. Find somebody who gets more yeses than nos and have them watch you, tell you what you're doing wrong, and then Follow their advice. That's what you got to do. And don't say, I don't believe that, or it's not the way I would do it, or I think I, nobody cares what you think. If you're getting more <laughs> no's than yeses, then everything you think is wrong. Find somebody who's successful, have them tell you what you're doing wrong, and follow their advice.
1: I feel like I hear myself talking through you right now. <laughs> I mean, The, the, the parallels the, of what you say and what I preach are so in line, it's insane.
2: That's a success filter.
1: I hope so. Yes. I hope so. I hope I'm not just lucky. <laughs> you know, if so I'm gonna go buy a lottery ticket. Um so talk, talk a little bit more about the book. I mean, you, you dictated for, for 12 hours in a row, you got a lot of stuff out there. And I don't want you to give away every ounce of information that's in there by any stretch. But you and I both know that the first step for anybody to make any type of improvement in their situation is to take some level of action. And we obviously know that you have now provided a roadmap for them to be able to do that. They just have to be willing to go to Amazon or wherever they can purchase your book to do it. Why should they?
2: There's two there's, – I would say two main ideas you need to understand if you're going to go into business for yourself, okay? And that's primarily what the book is about. The first is what kind of a business are you going to go into? Are you going to be self-employed or are you going to be a business owner? And those are two very distinctive things. A self-employed person is, is someone who starts – You know, they might be working for an agency and they decide to go out on their own and it's just them. I mean, they've started a business, they might incorporate it, you know, they've got a company name, but the reality is they're self-employed. They've created a job for themselves and that's good. And you can create a nice lifestyle with that. It's not something you're ever going to build value in. It's not something you're ever going to sell unless it's just a block of business, but you're a self-employed individual. Then there are people who want to build a company. A company means that I'm going to build, you know, I'm going to have employees, I'm going to build processes and I'm going to have infrastructure and I'm going to support a bunch of other people and help them get their life going. Those are two distinctly different things. So first decide who you are and what you want. You can start self-employed and turn into a business owner, or you can start self-employed and stay there, or you can start off by starting a business. So figure out who you are. If you decide you want to be a company and you want to build something that has a lot of value and that you could sell, and then you need to decide who you are as an individual within that company. And we like to say that every successful company that grows and scales Uh, and has value and can be sold requires different personalities. Somebody needs to be the entrepreneur. Somebody needs to be the manager. Somebody needs to be the salesperson and somebody needs to be a technician, right? There are a lot of people who are salespeople who start companies who have no idea how to run an actual company. There are a lot of people who are managers of another company who think, you know, I do all the work, so let me start my own company and they have no idea how to sell or actually be the entrepreneur on top those personalities are different. and if you are not an entrepreneur, you're a salesperson, you'll probably have you'll probably struggle. If you are a manager, you'll probably struggle. If you're a technician and you try to run a company, you'll probably struggle. So you got to figure out who you are. What kind of business are you in? What kind of business do you want to be? who you are within that business, hire the people to fill in the gaps and that uh, and then you move on from there.
1: I think you know, a lot of people will hear me talk about my time in retail, working in grocery stores and super targets, and probably wonder, how does that translate to you being a successful insurance producer? It doesn't. <laughs> it may give me some stories. It might give me it, truthfully, it'll give me some operational discussion opportunities because I have had total P&L responsibilities since I was 22 years old. So I can go in and I can talk about certain operational things that are going on or whatever else based off of that. But my time in grocery and retail really didn't set me up to be a successful producer. It set me up to be a successful agency owner. Mm-hmm. And because of my ops experience, I can wear that hat when I'm working in the agency I think though that when you're working for someone else, there's something else that you need to be thinking about. You know, if you're working for a company and you don't own it and you're you're gonna be an employee, you need to understand the difference. And I'm gonna steal something from my good friend Scott Howell here. You need to understand the difference between a job and a career. Mm-hmm. Period. Right? To me, a job is I'm gonna go in, I'm gonna work eight hours and I'm gonna go home and I don't have a care in the world not going to worry about anything and I, it'll be here tomorrow morning when I come back at eight o'clock. Yep. If I yep. have a career, I have a much longer term vision of what every day's activities are going to lead to when you're in sales. And when, specifically when you're in sales for a high ticket item, you know, insurance is a high ticket item. It doesn't matter if it's 10,000 or a hundred thousand, it's a high ticket item. You're in a career and every single do- thing you do every single day determines the ultimate outcome of your career, which is a much wider view. I feel like many times we get trapped as employees or just having a job.
2: Well, you're exactly right. And unfortunately, people with an employee mindset are never going to succeed in their own business. It's just not going to happen. It takes a much bigger drive. I I used to say I worked dark to dark seven days a week when I was building my company. You do what it takes. and, And I've also always said people, it's funny for years, people say, well, what do you do for fun? And I would say, you know, business is fun. Business is my life. This is what I do. This is who I am. It's not like I'm checking out at six o'clock and not thinking about it again. You know, it's who I am.
1: I I tell people that I work seven half days a week, only 12 (laughs) hours a day. Yeah. And I'm saying that tongue in cheek now because I've gotten to the point in my career where that's obviously doesn't have to happen anymore, but that's what it takes, man. (laughs) that's what it takes.
2: That's what it takes. I think
1: that people, people, people see the paychecks and they think they're sexy. They see the process and they run. They don't, they don't want to do the work that it takes to get there. And listen, social media has made this a much bigger problem or at least highlighted it to be a much bigger problem. Um, just based on the fact that you never see the grind. Very rarely do you see the grind. You don't, you, you see the person like Sarah Blakely, great example, just sold Spanx, Venture Capital Group, she's in Atlanta now, she's from down here, just sold to Blackstone for over a billion dollars. How many people saw that story and said, wow, must be nice, she just got a billion dollars?
2: We call this the 20-year overnight success. (laughs) Yes. Isn't it (laughs) though? From my perspective, it took 20 years. From your perspective, it just happened yesterday.
1: Exactly. No, I mean, and that's the thing. And I, I have actually followed Sarah for a long time. Number one, because she was local. Number two, because my wife is a huge constituent of her products. And number three, I actually caught her. What, what originally led me to her was she was a contestant on the reality show that Richard Branson did called The Rebel Billionaire mm-hmm. and she competed on that and I connected with how hard she worked I mean she put everything she could into that and you know that was at least 15 years ago that she was on that show. Yep. So your point about being the 20 year overnight success is a hundred percent on point. Sometimes it's the 30 year overnight success. Sometimes it's 10. It just depends on what the situation is and who you are and what your, your makeup is. But yeah, I think that's that's the other thing. A lot of times people, I think that may be what leads to some of the failures in business, right? People see somebody like Sarah Blakely who's built an incredible company, with, which by the way, also an incredible culture. You know, she bought two round trip first class tickets to anywhere in the world for all of her employees and gave each one of them $10,000 to spend when they went on that trip. Like, come on people. You, you, you can't work in a better organization than that. Right. Now- was it always that way? Absolutely not. I've seen the pictures of when she started with her house over on the other side of the bay, and she would come home and have just boxes blocking her front door. She had no fulfillment department. She had no marketing department. This lady was literally bootstrapping this thing from the ground up and will have my eternal respect. Now, If she ever goes and does anything else, there's no doubt in my mind that Sarah Blakely is going to be successful. Right. That's who she is. Yep. She can't be anything but. But I think there's a lot of people out there who look at that they don't understand. You're right. It was a 20-year process to get there. Well, if that lady can do it, I can do it. I'm just going to go out and I'm going to start doing this tomorrow and think, hey, how quick is it going to be before I get that first massive check? I'm sorry. Did you want me to tell you in years or decades?
2: I have, and it's funny, in my years in insurance, I would always have my top salespeople quit to go start their own business because they would look at what we were doing and think, oh, I can do that. That's easy. And I'd laugh every time they'd leave because I'd be like, you yeah, know, they'll be back. Whether we take them back is another issue, but they'll be back. They have no idea what it takes to do what they think they're going to do.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So talk a little bit about, you know, how has this translated? I mean, we weren't necessarily going to go here. We're not going to camp here by any stretch. But how has this thought process translated to your current bid to be city council, a city council member in, Al- in Alpharetta?
2: You know, when I, so- I sold one company in 99 I sold one in 2006 I sold one in 2008 I quit working ended up consulting for insurance carriers for a number of years Then I got into the restaurant business but I have always in every business I've built built a company that didn't really require me to be there if if, if I have a talent business it's that I can build one that doesn't need me because I've always said if somebody's gonna buy your business and you're an integral part of it then it has much much less value right so my famous line in my companies is, I have no idea. I'm useless. Don't talk to me. Find, figure it out for yourself. So because of that, and because I have, you know, a relatively financial stable, a stable financial background, my restaurants don't require me to actually work in them. I, um, I have a lot of time on my hands, but when I had sold these companies years back, I was out in park city talking to a friend of mine and he asked me, he said, what are you going to do Next? And I I told him at the time, I have no idea. I've been, you know, head down dark to dark for 20 years. I guess I'll start another business. And he said, why do you need the money? And I said, no. And he said, well, Brian, then you need to figure out what you're passionate about and figure out what you're going to give back. And when you figure those two things out, the rest of your life will be happy. And I knew I was passionate about writing. So I did the book thing. But giving back, I was always interested in politics, um, but didn't really want to get involved at the federal level. (laughs) <laughs> because I don't want to have my life destroyed for something I did in kindergarten. Yeah, I mean, do you really need to offer explanation as to
1: why? <laughs> I yeah, mean- <laughs> so I,
2: I, I, you know, I have time on my hands. I started looking into the city council level in my hometown here. It's someplace I can make a difference. I've got the time to do it. It's my opportunity to give back. So I threw my hat in the ring.
1: And you know what? You're going to learn. You're going to probably ultimately be successful. And who knows, you know, we may be talking to the next governor of Georgia. You <laughs> never know where it's going to end, man. I, I mean, know. that's just the way it works. You get driven. You're not going to be satisfied. Okay. You, you and I both know that. I mean, you, you may get a greater level of satisfaction by knowing you're driving an impact and helping other people than money will give you. That I, I would give you that. But at some point, just the way you're wired, I can tell from talking to you and being around people just like you almost every day, you're not going to be satisfied for the long term doing that. I think you're going to push yourself and do something something else.
2: Well, it's like slaying a dragon. You know, it, There's a lot of adrenaline. There's a lot of excitement. You slay the dragon, and then if you're like us, you go, okay, we're, where's the next dragon?
1: Well, think about it. I mean, they had all those studies back in the 80s, you know, where the you had all these high performing people with IBM that were out just crushing it in the sales game. And they all went out and retired. And then an overwhelming majority of them died within a year yep. of leaving IBM because they didn't have anything to fulfill that need in their life. You know, I don't plan on working until I'm 100. I plan on retiring. I'm going to use the quotes when I'm 50 in two years. I I want. And and, and when I say that, I want people to understand, am I going to sell my agency? No, probably not in two years. I know what my number is. If I get there in two years, I will. But I'm not saying I'm going to retire from everything. I'm just saying I want to know that if I wanted to quit work today, I don't ever have to work again. Right. I will continue to work. But you operate with a different level of clarity. I have to believe. I mean, truthfully, Brian, I could probably stop working today. Right. that being said, I and so I can tell you just how my own mind is wired, I can see that I have made decisions differently knowing that, that that's that, that's the case. I'm not worried about where payroll is coming from next week. I'm not worried about whether or not the carrier checks going to get deposited, you know, before I have to pay the rent or any of that other stuff. I can sit back without any stress, you know, whatsoever unless it's self-imposed, and I can look at things much more objectively because I've worked hard to get to the position where, as you said, I've, I'm pretty much irrelevant too, man. Anybody asks me a question about the operations end of the agency, other than what's on the P I'm going to point them to whoever in the agency, you know, does that.
0: Exactly.
1: <laughs> I don't. Exactly. I don't need to know every nuance of how every single person's job's done. And to show you, you know, from a transformation standpoint. Back in my days in the grocery industry, they wanted to give me a store a year and a half before I actually took the store. And the reason why that happened is because I did want to understand what everybody did. If they were to hold me responsible for financial performance of the entire organization, I mean, I was in my early 20s and inherited essentially a $16 million a year business that I was completely responsible for. If I don't understand how to fry the donuts and how to make the conversions of the bread into croutons and repackage them and price them and date them correctly in the bakery or how to take the rotisserie chicken and turn it into chicken salad or put it on the steam table as another dish the other day and understand where the profit is made or lost in each one of those operating units inside of a store, I couldn't Take responsibility for the whole thing because I wouldn't be able to lead and un- help that person understand where to troubleshoot in their own operation. Now, I didn't have to go in and actually physically do that stuff for long periods of time, but I did. I worked in every single job in that store before I allowed them to give me the promotion. And I don't want that to sound pompous. It was more out of fear that I was going to fail when I got there if I didn't understand how everything worked. At This season in my life, having been through several opportunities that have turned out well and having several that didn't turn out well, I've been molded into somebody who realizes I don't know, I don't have to know every single detail. I just need to know that I've got the person who does know those details in the boat rowing the same direction as everybody else.
2: You know, I, I to your point earlier, I tried to retire. Couldn't do it. I would I would walk into a store or a restaurant or a business and all of a sudden I'm looking around going, "I could do this. Should I buy this or should I just build it?" Which which would drive me crazy sometimes cuz then I would say, "No, no, no, you're retired. You you you're not you don't need to do this anymore." But I mean, I was literally sitting in a bar one day with some of my ex-employees having some drinks and somebody said it was for sale. And I said, you know what? Screw it. Let's just buy it. So we bought it. and Now we have eight. And that's just kind of the way it goes. Um, but yeah, if you, if you can build your business to the point where, like you said, you can operate at 30,000 feet and not down in the trenches and you've got something. I call it, you know, in the restaurant business, we call the difference between managing a store and managing a company. It's the difference between managing, managing, you know, the sales process or managing the agency, you have to understand the PL level in order for you to operate the business. That's what you need to know.
1: And to me, truthfully, that's not that difficult. I mean, I realize for there's you. a lot that goes. What's that? For you, right? And that's what I'm saying. So people that are wired like us, for me, it's you know, number one, very non-emotional decisions because the numbers always tell the story, and I don't, I don't. I'm different than a lot of my peers because I don't ever look at anything is re- in terms of dollars. I look at everything as a percent to total revenue, right? So I can understand if I make this decision it's going to cost me 2%. Okay. Well, now I can back into the number and see what it is, but because of how our P&Ls were always always set up as I was coming up through the ranks, I just had I knew my payroll percent had to be single digits. I knew my sales per man hour had to be a certain number of things, and in the agency world, I don't think that we always break down our P and Ls and understand what the the um, the the different tolerance levels are for the different uh, expense centers in or revenue centers, as that matter, for the agency. So for me to make business decisions, as long as I have good reporting and the data that's been put in is correct, boom. Just like split second, it doesn't take long at all to figure out. Oh yeah, you need to do this here, cut this, add that, whatever else.
2: You know, it's interesting in all the consulting I did, and I did this in every company we went into. I would switch them from what we called top-down management to bottom-up. Right? There's a macro PNL, and then there's a micro PL. and the micro PNL is every single salesperson in the organization. You can take every single salesperson, build a PL around them based on their opex costs, their lead costs, their sales commissions, their salaries. Build that P&L and it becomes very apparent very quickly who's producing and who's not. And I I can tell you every agency we went into, I would probably fire the bottom 25 to 35% of their sales force. And they had no idea. They kept thinking more sales is more, more revenue is more profit. And it's not. More sales is not more profit. Every agent is a profit center. Every single one. And you have to look at and them. And every single
1: one of those accounts is a profit center too. Every
2: account's a profit center. Every lead source is a profit center. You have to break this down so many ways to determine what works and what doesn't. And most agency or big agency owners just have never done that before. They keep looking at it from top down and they can't figure out why. You know, I had an agency. It's funny
1: in- that you say that, man, because in, in for everybody who's listening to this, I didn't know Brian at all until we had just a a quick conversation of about 30, 45 minutes the other day to talk about what we were gonna talk about today and then we brought him on the podcast. So he knows nothing really about me unless he's gone out and done research on the internet. And truthfully, I haven't done any more because I felt like we hit it off and we could just figure out everything else we wanted to talk about when we came on to record. But I do this and I didn't do it intentionally necessarily. You know, I didn't go read your book that said, hey, you should do it this way. I just did it this way because this is what made sense to me. So it's one of the reasons why I have all of my producers do a business plan, right? I want them to do a business plan because they are. I want them to run their book of business as if it's their own individual company. It's going to show me how entrepreneurial they are, how cost conscious they are. But the most important thing, and if you're an agency owner and you're listening to this, you need to write this down right now. It's not about what amount of revenue any producer is going to do. It's how they're going to do it. How are they going to get there? How much is it going to cost? How much time is going to be invested? What are those daily behaviors they're going to have to execute to 100% uh, perfection every single day to get to that number? And so many times we just want to know, hey man, what are your numbers going to be for the year? And then we put that as a placeholder in the budget. And when they don't hit the number, we don't have anything to go back and hold them accountable to or measure because we didn't get them to give us their plan and agree to it on the front end. Whereas- if they've done that in my belief is I don't care about the revenue. I do care about the revenue, but on a day to day basis, I am not going to go into somebody who's got a business plan that says I'm going to write two and a half million dollars of premium for your agency this year. And every day ask them, where's the two and a half million. What I do want to know is How many cold calls are you going to make? How many marketing drops are you going to make? How much follow-up do you have? How much retention do you have in your book? Now we can start getting into these things, but it's the behaviors that ultimately determine whether or not they hit their revenue goal. And if you don't define the behaviors and hold them accountable to the behaviors, you're never going to get to the revenue number. And the mistake that so many people make is they want to hold somebody accountable to their end-of-the-year revenue without ever looking at what they're doing every day to get there.
2: That's a fact. That's the difference between an agency that's wildly profitable and one who can't figure out why they can't make money.
1: Agreed. What else can we talk about, man? We got all kinds of – we got 15 minutes left. Well. um, Floor is yours. Floor is
2: mine. Um, Gosh, I I, – that's a good question.
1: So what would you say the biggest thing that you've learned? Like, What's just the biggest, most ridiculous mistake that you've made? And if it's going to give away the book, then tell me that, and I don't want you to tell me.
2: Uh, Well, I would say it's a 1,000 mistakes. The biggest one, however, is letting your ego get in the way of your ultimate success. Again, again, this, this is a repetitive topic here, but if your business isn't where it needs to be, there's a reason, and the reason is you. And if you don't understand that, then you're not going to be able to move forward. And the way to move forward is to find somebody who can help you figure out what you're doing wrong, what's wrong in your sales process, what's wrong in your agency, what's wrong with your agents, what's wrong. And you got to find somebody who's been there, done that, and then let, and then listen to what they tell you. I will tell you another thing, and, and I said this recently somewhere, quit chasing the advice of billionaires. And, and, and it's, it's kind of a flippant comment, but I see too many people that are going out and Talking, you know, they want to go see, and let's use Sarah as an example. I I, I watched a group of of folks that wanted to start a business go out and, and do a seminar with Sarah Blakely. Unfortunately, at this point in Sarah's life, she's a billionaire and she's making decisions with thousands of people on a mega scale. You should probably find somebody that's a little closer to your level that's in the trenches doing what you're doing and successful at it. They've probably got better advice for you. So, find somebody. Yeah, and who,
1: not that not that her advice is bad. No, it's just different. It's just from different. a completely different perspective that you're not, you're not, you're not looking through her lens right now.
2: Right. Like Elon Musk can't help me right now. He's worried <laughs> about changing the world, right? Jeff Bezos can't help me. He's trying to go to space. Find somebody who's yep. running a $50 million agency. That's willing to help you and take their advice because they're in the trenches with you right now and can help you make those decisions. Stop chasing the advice of billionaires. Find someone who's at your level or above the level we want to be successfully. Listen to them.
1: Yeah, truthfully, figure out the realistic level where you want to be. I think is where it, what it boils down to. If you say, you know what, I really want to, I, I want to have a net worth of ten million right. or more. Find that guy or that lady. I, find I find Look, the person who's got that.
2: I can't help you be a billionaire, but I can help you build an agency that you can sell for fifty or sixty million dollars because I've done that.
1: Yeah, agreed. And I'd love to be a billionaire, but I don't know any billionaires to even begin to ask. And if, and to your point, if I did. I don't know how applicable. What it's just such a different, different thought process. But right. again, that's what society's attracted to. That's what they're enamored. They're, that, that's what they're enamored with. It's let me go find the biggest and the best, not the most practical.
2: Right, most practical is where you need to be. Hundred percent. That's why podcasts I like this are so good.
1: Absolutely. Well, I, I appreciate that. So listen, I don't want to to flounder around and think of anything. um, You know, just try and come up with stuff to talk about. I would ask you this, though, and then we're going to wrap up. And I want you to tell people uh, when you're you're done answering this question, tell them where they can find your books because I know that we're going to sell some. And then I'm going to make a special announcement that you don't even know is coming. But number one piece of advice, you've given so many, but if you were to think about the number one piece of advice that you've ever been given and understanding that you're not somebody who likes authority, I do believe you're coachable. I know I am. I don't necessarily deal well with authority, but I am coachable. I just have to be getting coached by the people that I choose that I know are going to give me the best advice. Um, What do you think the best piece of advice is you've ever gotten?
2: Um, If you are not where you want to be eventually in life, then you are not making the right decisions and you need to find somebody that can help you do that.
1: I'd say something similar um, but different and tell people, you know, if you're not succeeding to the level you want, go stand in front of a mirror and every reason why is staring back at you.
2: Your ego is the problem. I, 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 I love to say this. You know, you know the difference between uh, you and Elon Musk? You know the difference between you and Jeff Bezos or you and Bill Gates or you and Warren Buffett? What's the only difference between you and all these people? It's the way you think. It's nothing more than the way you think. You need to learn to think correctly to get where you want to go in life. And if you can't do that on your own, find somebody who can help you.
1: So let me ask you, where do they find your book? I'm assuming Amazon and and the usual places, but is there...
2: Amazon, Kobu, I think are the two big ones, but Amazon's the big one. Yeah. Cool
1: deal. So listen, people, I really like what Brian has to say. I can't wait to read both of his books and I want you to do that too. So I am going to go to Amazon as soon as we get off of this podcast and I'm going to buy a dozen copies of Brian's book wow. that he has the most recent one, the dropout multimillionaire. And I want you to send me an email telling me why I should send you one for free. What did you learn from this podcast that makes you want to get his book and I'll send it to you. I'm going to give 12 of them away at no cost whatsoever to you. I'll cover shipping and everything else. Just send me an email. Tell me why you why it should be you. That's incredible, David. Thank you. Brian, I appreciate you coming on, man. It has been great talking to you. Um, you know, when you're down in Clearwater or when I'm up in your area, I'm definitely going to reach out. I would love to go visit one of your establishments, just spend some time listening to you and learning from you. And, uh, you know, I hope you would do the same when you come down here yep. uh, because you've got a place not that far from me.
2: I got, I'll got. i be down there almost the entire month of November as soon as this election is over. So we need to, we need to catch up.
1: <laughs> You're going to need to recover, man. Yeah,
2: that's why I'm going to the beach for a month.
1: I hear you. I hear you. Well, listen, I wish you nothing but continued success. I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to come share with our audience. This has been an episode just absolutely packed with great information and people, I can't encourage you enough to go and pick up a copy of Brian's book. And if you don't want to do that, send me the email and I will send it to you for free. Thank you everybody for tuning in and we'll catch you next time.
0: Thanks, David. You've been listening to the power producers podcast.